The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Michael Horton. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would guide our thoughts and meditations as we contemplate what it is to be trees planted by the living water and uh, roots deeply embedded in our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, when we talk about wisdom and discernment, um, particularly the discernment of spirits, one of the passages that comes to mind is Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought it might be helpful to focus especially on the context, and it it reminds us of the importance of context, recognizing that we're hearing a passage like this as outsiders. Uh, to to try to to understand how it is that the audience, the first audience, uh, would have understood what Jesus is saying. And I think that what we just sang, Psalm 1, is in the background of uh, Jesus' thoughts as he is teaching about the tree and its fruit. You know, very often uh, this uh, metaphor is appealed to when there are various movements afoot, and uh, sometimes spurious movements with all sorts of uh, false teaching can be justified by the uh, imperative to judge by its fruits. Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, uh, ignore the doctrine (laughs) because look at the fruit. Of course, if you look at the fruit, a lot of people have been taken off of uh, 
drugs and, and uh, alcohol by uh, Mormonism, and, and uh, you can find all sorts of ways of justifying uh, spurious movements by appealing to external uh, effects. And that's precisely what Jesus here is arguing against. It's the Pharisees who appear outwardly to be flourishing, but are inwardly dead, outwardly shepherds, inwardly wolves. And so the context is uh, Jesus speaking uh, from his mountain uh, with echoes of Moses receiving the law from Mount Sinai, a context in which there have been and would be after Jesus many would-be messiahs, and they will all proclaim themselves agents of God's liberating power, uh, releasing Israel from Gentile oppressors and restoring the theocracy. And so they're calling people to arms to join them in the revolution. But Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses. Uh, it's, it, it stands out especially that where Moses receives the law from Yahweh, Jesus speaks as if he is Yahweh giving the law. You have heard it said, but I say. In fact, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was incredibly blasphemous. <laughs> to say that this persecution that you endure is on account of me, on account of my name, on account of Yahweh. Rejoice and be glad, he says, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, the prophets who prophesied me and my coming. And so he gives essentially 10 words of benediction pronounced on the true Israel of God here. Uh, but I want to focus our attention especially on the fact that Jesus is not like any of the other would-be messiahs or the religious leaders of the day. He's preparing his followers for persecution, not for retaliation, for witness to him, not for rebuilding the theocracy, for inheriting the earth, not recovering a sliver of Palestinian real estate. So in effect, to be a zealot, at least now that Jesus has come, is to renounce the God of Israel, to turn one's back on the covenant. And so it's a very significant regime change from the, you have heard it said, the old covenant, the theocracy, the, the, the conquest, driving the nations out, to the proclamation of the gospel under great duress and persecution, and yet progress of the gospel, not only in spite of, but through it. And our text of the tree and its fruits is preceded by the warning to enter the path to the heavenly Jerusalem through the narrow gate rather than the wide gate. What is the wide gate? Again, we think in abstract terms and immediately apply it to our situation today. But we have to, first of all, Try to hear it the way Jesus' audience would have heard it. The wide way, the, the easy way, the easy path to take is the one 
uh, that the Pharisees were leading people on. It's the easy path. Just go with the flow, follow the Pharisees, look for a Messiah who will uh, bring liberation from Gentile oppression. And all of this has hints of the Psalms, as I mentioned, especially Psalm 1, the two paths, one leading to life and the other to destruction. Being founded on the rock is sort of analogous to being a tree planted by living water. And it's interesting that in Luke's account, not only benediction, but Jesus' corollary curses follow, corresponding exactly to each of the benedictions. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now this is not just, again, a general sort of warning against laughter uh, and eating. This is uh, directed specifically at the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, who tie up burdens and do not lift a finger to help those carry them, those who are well-fed, those who are given the first place in the synagogue, those who are well-respected, who like people to fall down and bow to them at the marketplace. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And this last curse is especially significant for our text since it parallels the benediction in verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. And so given that background, it's not hard to miss what Jesus is up to. This is back to Jeremiah 23, the false, false shepherds and the, the true shepherds, and God raising up a true shepherd one day who will lead his people. Jesus is every bit of what Jeremiah was and more. John the Baptist came with a similar message, but Jesus certainly is capable of uh, being the weeping prophet as well. This is all about Israel's rejection of the Messiah and the paradox that in that very rejection, Israel and the nations inherit the world through faith in Christ. First of all, he gives the warning about false prophets. And in Luke's version, it reads, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. In other words, you shouldn't expect true teaching from a false shepherd. Find faithful shepherds, and then you will find faithful teaching. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So stop hanging around the Pharisees. I, I'm redrawing Israel around me. If you want to belong to Israel, be my disciples, not the disciples of the Pharisees. So this isn't false prophets in general, but the religious leaders who persecuted all of the prophets up to Jesus himself. Of course, so many of the parables are about that, aren't they? 
And this isn't anti-Jewish. This is just, Jesus is con continuing the polemic of the Hebrew prophets, isn't he? There will be a remnant of Jews together with a remnant of the nations who will stream to Zion. But those who think they're Israel are not Israel. The people demand these prophets. Isaiah chapter 30, these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. And the people get what they crave. That's the worst thing. The worst thing that we could ever want uh, as straying sheep is, is to be given over to what we crave. The classic passage here, as I said, is Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? I didn't send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. I did not send or appoint them. And so destruction is pronounced on these lying prophets. So that's what Jesus is, is doing here, uh, as he does also in Matthew 25 in pronouncing the woes on the religious leaders. Uh, and then finally the evidence here, uh, their fruit. This is really the heart of uh, the, the, uh, the, the passage of what Jesus wants to say. And again, it, it, it's important to put this in the context of what Jesus is doing there with his audience. Um, he's not just giving some abstract rule or maxim that you can judge people's doctrine by the life that they live. Would that that were true. You know, one of the reasons Erasmus said that he couldn't join the, the Reformation was because uh, he, uh, of, of the scandalous lives that many Protestants were leading. That, that as, as bad as, as Rome is, as immoral as Rome is, uh, he couldn't see much of a difference with the Protestants. Now, that was a way probably of just justifying his passivity, not having to wrestle with the issues. Nevertheless, it would be wonderful if there was a correlation between the purity of doctrine and the purity of life. There should be. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I stumbled upon this in Calvin. He observes concerning this verse, now we must see what fruits in particular Christ intends, for I believe it is wrong when people confine this to our way of life. Often some of the worst impostors put on a fake holiness and trade in all sorts of garbs betokening austerity in life, so this test would be quite ineffectual. So by fruits, it is the very way of teaching which we must understand, which in fact holds first priority. So in other words, look at their teaching, their fruit. The fruit of their ministry is their teaching. And that's the context, the, the false prophets and their false teaching. 
The Pharisees advertised themselves as light to the world, but they were the blind leading the blind. Outwardly, they were zealous with piety. Inwardly, full of death. Outwardly, shepherds. Inwardly, wolves. Just don't judge a book by its cover. So Jesus is actually saying the opposite of what a lot of us mean when we invoke judge a tree by its fruit to justify not judging false doctrine. Jesus presents himself here as the judge. You know, the day is coming when he will bring all things to light. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Some people build on the foundation of Christ with, with junk. They build cardboard shacks on top of the precious foundation of Jesus Christ, and it will all go up in smoke one day. And so you judge the ministry by the teaching, by the doctrine. When Jesus comes in that day, there will be many people who will say, Lord, Lord. And it's not that they will appeal to their, the soundness of their doctrine, you notice, in this passage. Jesus says, many will come saying, Lord, Lord, did we not perform miracles and cast out demons and do many good things in your name? Look at the fruit. He says, no, I'm looking at the fruit. False teaching. Depart from me. I never knew you. There are many who will be condemned on the last day who will have had the right doctrine and yet never will have personally trusted in Jesus Christ, yielding good fruit. But in this particular scenario, the plaintiffs protest that they have done good works, but these works, however good outwardly, will be of no use in pleading their cause. So Jesus is the judge, we're not, and yet, to be wise in Christ, we have to be discerning. And we can't always judge by one's life. We have to judge by the doctrine. We're called to make approximate judgments about our leaders based on what they teach. That is the fruit of their ministry. Or to go with Paul's metaphor, the building materials that they use. Jesus is the, the, the ultimate judge that day. And that's good news for us who have received the good teaching of the good shepherd. And are the tree planted <laughs> by the streams of living water because we are led by the good shepherd, the true prophet who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, who is the Lord and whose sheep hear his voice. He will intervene on that day and he will cast out the lying voices and judge the false shepherds, the wolves in sheep's clothing and vindicate his elect. Our prophet, priest and king is interceding for us even now that our faith will not fail and gives us the means by his word of that being so. We will not be led astray. We will hear his voice 
We will be planted by streams of living water, and we will bear fruit that will last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for persuading us by your spirit through your word of your care for us, not only in leading us into Christ, but keeping us in Christ by his word. We know that that word not only justifies us, but sanctifies us and causes us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Help us, Father, to have discernment. First of all, to discern when we, ourselves, our tongues, are straying from the script that you've given us. And help us also, Father, to have the wisdom and discernment to be able to test the spirits to see which teachings and teachers are from you. All of this, Father, we pray in Christ's name so that we can be faithful shepherds to those sheep you've entrusted to our care. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.